You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, the synagogue in Cote St. Luke. Not a suburb of Montreal, but really just like an extension, a beautiful, wonderful suburban type of go. Uh, we have an interesting uh, we have interesting confluence actually coming up uh, this week. Um, on, uh, it's uh, on this Monday. This Monday, uh, I'm not sure when your Steelers are playing. When when are they playing? On Monday night? <laughs> are they playing? The Steelers Mon- of Pittsburgh are facing the Chiefs of Kansas City. On Sunday evening at 8.15. Oh, so we basically have a confluence of three events. Right. We have Tubishvat, uh, Rathelsberger playing in the playoffs, and also the eve of Martin Luther King Day here in the United States. Martin Luther King's birthday being celebrated on that Monday. Um, look, both of us grew up uh, with uh, at schools that you know, promoted Tubishvat as the Jewish day of the trees. Uh, let's Jewish, give... And there was also, of course, an idea that we have to send money to plant trees in Eretz Yisrael, right? The JNF. And... I planted many a tree. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, you have. And, uh, uh, you know, again, Tu B'Shvat, without give principal who was trying to craft a Tu B'Shvat uh, program, uh, realizes that the problem is in translation. Tubishvat is perfect for a halachic geek, a halachic botanist geek, right? To understand why this date in dead winter is somehow the new period, right? And it has to do with the understanding of the way Chazal's understanding, the way trees grow, the way fruit develops. You have to understand something called chalata which is not exactly a flower, but the beginning of a formation of an essential stage of what's going to eventually be a ripe fruit. And to recognize that those chanatot that occur pre-Tu Bishvat are really connected to rains that were in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, before are Rosh Hashanah, before the first of Tishrei. And therefore, the produce that is is sprouting forth on those trees is really produce from the previous year. So what does that mean? Previous year? What do you mean previous year? And that forces a person to understand the, the, I wouldn't call it complex, but at least somewhat complicated, not complex, but complicated under uh, laws of Trumos and Maestros and what are the difference between each year right. in, in the seven-year cycle? And to understand that despite our calendar mentality that I'm in a new year, there is still stuff that's left over from last year. And, in the, and when people were taking off Trumas and Maestros, they needed to keep a clear distinction because one year the, is a Maestro Shana year, which is years one, two, four, and five. And years three and six are Meiser Ani years. Meiser Shani, just to explain, is basically a f- forcing you to spend time in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, 
right? You have to basically take off a tenth of your produce right. and spend a beautiful couple of days in Yerushalayim helping the economy there and, and soaking in, as the, as the Pusik says, Yiras Hashem. If it's not Meiser Shani, then that means you have an extra responsibility of tzedakah, of to give it, uh, to allow this tanim, which is over and above everything else that is oh, going, so we did for the poor. which of course is Leket Shechapeya, which is built into the system. So it's important to know. It's also important uh, to Bishvat to understand that in the Din of Arla, there's a special, despite when the tree was planted, it's technically not out of Orla until Tubishvat, right. um, which would mean, hey, I'd like to, you, I'd like to use this fruit already. It's the fifth year or the fourth year. I want to take it to Eretz Yisrael You can't. You have to wait till Tubishvat. That is basically what Tubishvat is about. And yet we know that. To ask you a question, do you yes. have any knowledge of what your great grandfather did on Tubishvat? Okay. Good question. Um, we have writings from Mukubalim and Hasidim uh, about using Tubishvat for other things. When, like you say, my great grandfather in, in, in Poland, what would he have been? What would he have been doing? There was. You're correct. There was, in a way, a at least a push that we see evidence of, of having involvement on Tubishvat with the Peros of Eretz Yisrael, of eating the Peros of Eretz Yisrael. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe even according to some Hasidic sources, to learn halachos hatzuyos ba'aretz, to, to, to review the laws of brachos. So people have tried to say, hey, it's, it, Tubishvat has such prominence in Mishnaic uh, literature and in the Talmud, let's do something about it. And maybe it's because it's the dead of winter, we need to push... Well, let me ask you a question. If you're a Talmud in the Yeshiva of Elijah in 1860, right, and you missed davening that morning, you didn't know, you didn't say Tachana, would you know when it was too, too much fun? I would say that in the... I would agree with you, that in the the people who are involved in Torah who really know what Tubishvat means and are learning, maybe even understanding these laws of Zerayim that I gave a little synopsis of, that's eh, nothing. You, you, I know what you're getting at. It, it I mean, it was, I mean the, the, the Kabbalistic folks got excited about it for reasons that are beyond my understanding. I, I don't really, they, they did some kind of weird Seder or something even on Tubishvat. It, it, is, it is said in the name of the Ari. I don't know where it's written specifically. But the Benish Chai speaks about it as well. So I think that this, there was a, 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 a tradition in the Sephardic world to, to in a way, generate Avas Eretz Yisrael by getting as many of those Paris. They used to do a, they called it a Seder, didn't they? A say I Whether that was the term, I don't know, but to be mocked to eat the Peros of, right. There was, in, in Hasidic but those sir, are only the reform movements, like Hasidism, that got involved in that, right? There's a beautiful uh, piece in the Bnei Yisoska where he talks about Tu B'Shvat. Shonin Kippur, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. We got Tisha B'Av, right? Yisar B'Tavis, even got Hanukkah, we got Purim. I have more than enough holidays. I don't need new holidays. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a monkey wrench at you right <laughs> now. 
Okay. Normally, you know, we don't script our programs, but we talk about them. Right. I'm going to throw a monkey wrench at you right now. Okay. Right. You took a holiday. All right. We didn't have risk. We didn't have a meritus rex for a number of weeks because you took a holiday. Right. I was, I was, I was, I got a job as a lifeguard. <laughs> okay. So the point is, <laughs> when did you, when did you take that holiday? You didn't take that holiday. Right. You took the holiday when the icicles started to form up in Quebec. It was you, cold here. Right. So, so imagine you're in the, the depth of winter somewhere in the Carpathian mountains or somewhere in Poland or even somewhere in the black forest of Germany. Okay. There, wait, wait, wait. There isn't a holiday coming up till Purim, especially in the Iberior, right? Yeah, so, all right. Right, so let's have something to generate some excitement, right? It's, it's, it's tough to basically, when you, when you uh, trudge through the snow drift. I thought that was what the NFL season was for. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and maybe that's the reason why, uh, uh, like in the, in Volusian, the season never ended. In the yeshivas, there was enough excitement about anything they were learning. They had great rebbeim, and uh, 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 the kids were the most brilliant Lithuanian minds. They didn't need to push themselves to create a new holiday. But within the communities, there was a sense that, look, it's the depth of winter. There's something here. I got to tell you something. So I have to say, you know, there's two ways to look at this whole thing. So when you and I were kids, Tubishvat had already by that time morphed into the JNF holiday, right? It was about trees in Israel, which, by the way, I don't judge harshly at all because fundamentally you had a group of Zionists who wanted to plant trees in Israel. Really good idea. Israel needed trees. And what calendar date did they pick on? A date that tradition had already, you know, been by tradition linked to trees. I, I think that's a nice thing. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. That was a nice thing. I don't know. I don't feel that it was a misappropriation of of Tubishvat. It was we got to plant trees. Give me a tree day. Oh, you know we have a tree day. It's called Tubishvat. What's wrong with that? I don't have a big problem with that. No. Okay, I do because what I think it does is I end up graduating from eighth grade thinking Tubishvat is about planting trees and dancing around the tree and and and, and promoting that. Why didn't our teachers try to the same way they taught us the new math and they taught us how to divide fractions and how to work with negative numbers talk to us about the beauty of the system the agro oh, system but for the typical jew in america who doesn't know meister shaney from a chalitza for the right, who doesn't know any of this stuff you know it's not like, oh my God, the traditional understanding of Tubishvat has been replaced by the J and F. It's like, oh my God, there's something called Tubishvat. They didn't know about it beforehand. Right? They didn't exist in their consciousness. But but again, they but but I don't believe, especially see, here's the thing. I would agree with you, five to ten would be difficult. But if we take the Mishnah's uh, prescriptions. Right. 10 to 15, you learn Mishnayas. Now, right. I've thought about this, and I'm sure you agree. That, why? Because a 10-year-old is into statistics. He's into numbers. He's into, uh-huh. without necessarily thinking in the depth. That's why 15... No, I, I, no I, listen. There's a paucity of understanding by those who should know better. 
about to absolutely. In other words, there's the beauty in the cycle of the agricultural year, the seven years, everything from Marlon to Meishashani to Truman, all that stuff was not well known. Zerayim wasn't well appreciated. And, and, and it could have been as yeah. part of the curriculum. Again, right? And a lot of it is just repetition till you get it. And then you right. get it. And then you understand, you know, the difference between the same way you know a pitch count, you know that it's three strikes and four balls. You can figure out what the years of Meister Shane and the years of Meister Ani are. A 10-year-old could get it. And, right. and, 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 and especially, you don't need much in terms of audiovisual to explain it, but that stuff could have been produced as well. 100%. I, I can't. I, I agree with you. 100%. And therefore, what ends up is that adults are stymied because they never got the education about it. Right. Right. They never got the education about it. Here's the other thing. The, I sent you earlier today uh, from the World uh, Jewish Congress a number of articles about referring to the ancient times as the taxing of the, the this tithing was basically taxes, right? And today, what it needs to be is not planting trees, especially this year because it's Shemitah, but it has to be about recognition of our uh, carbon footprint and recognition about our responsibility to the organic world and how Israel has to be a leader in terms of, 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 of condemning global warming or trying to stop global warming. And instead of- By what the way, it, I, I, it's minus 34 today here in Montreal. I could use some global warming. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know what it is in Israel, but, but, but don't you, this is definitely, whatever your stance of, uh, on what used to, we used to call it the eco, eco, ecology movement, whatever your stance on uh, the green movement is, Again, isn't that basically hijacking to Bishvat? Yes. No, it's worse than hijacking. I would say it's even worse than hijacking. It's this, it comes from the same impulse that created Tikkun Olam and a whole bunch of other stupidity in American Jewish life, which is Judaism is basically not interesting and it's irrelevant. Um, Let's look at the political agenda of the day. Let's look at what... we think young people are excited about today and put a Jewish patina on it and pretend. And it's all pretend. It's all makeup. It's all made up. And in other words, let's get them uh, excited about Judaism by claiming Judaism is what they're already concerned about. Right? They're concerned about, you know, social justice. Let's pretend that's the focus of Judaism. Right? They're concerned about the environment. Let's pretend Judaism is this. Now, the fact is, nobody is more concerned for social justice than a from Jew. Just a very different agenda than the modern progressive. Judaism is the first a civilization that produced a body of environmental legislation about the protection of trees and the need to preserve uh, the world, love, the shaman, and everything else. And uh, uh, But again, they what they've done is they look at the young American Jew, they look at their agenda, and they put Hebrew letters on it somewhere. And, 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 they, and they make up a fantasy world of Judaism. Look, I would go even further that, that you know, how I'm dare you go further than that? Okay. I just condemned everybody. Okay, Who yeah, but what, 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 I'm in their Hasbara, right? We always hear Rabbi Pup go, you know, oh, they, they just do a bad job in Hasbara. You know, we just got to do a better job in Hasbara and we could get our message out. 
when you have official statements from the World Jewish Congress or anything, and, and you 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 butcher the facts about you know Chabad, go to Chabad's uh, simplistic description of Dubishvad. It's essentially correct. Their description of being taxes and 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 and, 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 and is, is completely it, the term itself. We know when you hear taxes. By the way, talk about making up holidays. Nobody's. I told my kids, you know, there's different branches of Judaism. You know, there's Orthodox, there's Hasidim, there's Yeshivish, there's Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist. I'm creating another stream of Judaism, which is called oppositional Judaism. You are against whoever you are with. And that's it. Well, listen, if you take, as, as the rabbi, the former rabbi of a breakaway show, <laughs> I know exactly what that is. I'm I'm a, a, I believe in the opposition. Yes, yes, yes. I had a show. That everyone every, I had a show that every single member was, what, what, what united them was their opposition to the old show. And that was right. that was incredible how we, how we managed with that type of steam and energy. Right, opposite, you know, I... Listen, it's like it's like a red. But look, 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 listen. Chabad, <laughs> Chabad has been a pioneer in using the internet to be mafarsim Torah. They do a great but, job. By the way, I have to admit, I've I've looked at their website at times. They they are, they are uh, they're accurate uh, and they are balanced generally. The only, you know. Complaint I have. They don't is, care about putting women there. They don't have the hangups. No, that, no, hundred percent. Oh, but also something. The only thing that kind of bothers me about the web, about Chabad teaching in general. And when I say Chabad teaching, I don't mean real teaching. I mean the stuff they, they, they you know, they the popular they stuff that's out there the for popular, people on the, the internet to get. Is, is when they have certain minhagim or certain ways to do things, and they. And they implicitly deny the existence of alternative minhagim or, or traditions. In other words, they'll say this is the Jewish way, but it's really just the Chabad way. But again, that's a minor thing because you know, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure it's unique to them. But the point is, they, you know, that's the only. Point. But again, generally speaking, they have a wonderful uh, right. So if you look at the Chabad, getting back to my point, if you look at the Chabad description of Tubishvat, it's essentially accurate and could lend itself to something greater. By the way, when I'm in Florida. <coughs> I doubt it as a Chabad show. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me, young rabbi, you're there, Rabbi Kuhn, a wonderful guy, fantastic guy. He, I've, I've been there for many years. It has grown from very small to magnificently large now. He does a wonderful job. He is tireless and really, he, he is remarkable what he does. He's building a building now. He's fantastic. And I would say overwhelmingly, the people in that room with him every Shabbos are good from Jews. There's a smattering of people he obviously has brought closer, but it's overwhelmingly a minion of, you know, people who are, you know, either Sephardic or Ashkenazic, but from on their own, who, who he, he takes care of, he teaches, he does a really wonderful job. Look, you know, I think Chabad, uh, and we talk about the two, I guess, mo- most successful, what we would call Haredi, organizations in terms of how they've reached out and brought in less affiliated. Uh, I would say probably the two best examples, um, you know, you have Chabad and uh, Chofetz Chaim. And the Chofetz Chaim... Oh, really? Yeah, in terms of Chofetz Chaim rabbis, right? The Chofetz Chaim rabbis 
and they aren't as big as Chabad at all, but they had more of an idea of the old Slabotka uh, idea of looking good, put together, um, very, very... All I remember, when I was in yeshiva wearing a black jacket, they were wearing plaid jackets, and I thought they looked ridiculous. But they, but, but they stressed, Reb Leibowitz stressed the idea... It was my uncle, you know. And, uh, you're talking about Rav Henoch was your uncle. Yeah. yeah. Rav Henoch, he was very into promoting a, 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 a good look for the Bochrim, that the guys should make a Kiddush Hashem, and, 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 and working on he, their... He always found the Pupkos excessively irreverent. <laughs> I'm sure, I can't imagine him sitting at the table with, with Shleiman and Baruch. Know, I can't imagine him sitting at the same table with Shleiman and Baruch Haaren. I cannot see the conversation go. He was an incredible Balmuser. And, he and, was very sincere. Yes, and and their people Mus- called the pup goes many things. Rarely, sincere. <laughs> yes, it's, I, I can't see them sitting there with the you know the the, the shmir open. Very, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. very pious. So, very, yeah. The point is, is that Chavetz Chaim's argument was, um, come on, you've got to. I understand you have a, a mantle of, of rabbinics, but you need to at least project it from a, a, a put together tzura. Whereas Chabad, their leaders could have the crumpled hat, they could have the beard that is completely, you know, going in six different directions, and yet they are able to push through that and bring people in, which is an incredible thing. It really is. They, they, Listen, they, what Chabad proves is one very simple thing, is just be nice to people. Again, I think it's more to that. I think they have no, a, really, they're, they're nice people. They're, they're and they have a passion people. They have a passion that translates. They have a passion yes. that translates. And it does, so listen, it, you look at the modern Orthodox world. And I'm not talking about Montreal because we're a bit of an anomaly here for a variety of reasons. But you look at schools in places like Cleveland and Chicago. You know, the modern Orthodox high schools, the Zionist high schools, you know, they send their kid boys off and their girls off to Israel for a year after high school. They, they stay from overwhelmingly, whatever. You know, they're, they're wonderful. They can't find teachers. The modern Orthodox world hasn't doesn't produce teachers, right? They can't they can't even get people to become rabbis, right? They can't get that commitment from their young people to dedicate themselves to the service of the Jewish people. They can't. Chabad is the only from group that produces what seems to be a never ending supply of young people who are meiser nefesh in some of the wackiest places on God's earth to go out and serve a handful of Jews in places that no one's ever heard of. I mean, who else does that? Yeah, look, the, one of the things I think that needs to be mentioned too is the honesty that they have in terms of selecting who's good for what. At a young age, the mashpiyim are able, unlike you know what what I think is a machla in 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 the yeshivisha world, they're willing to say, look. You are meant for the shlichus. You're meant to do this. You've got the brains and the personality. So they, they actually create their talent. They nurture their talent. And yeah. they know, they have an idea of who to send where. Who's good for answering? Who's good for learning all day? Who's good for going out in shlichus? And, and, and I don't know if they always get it right, but at least they're working on that. I think part of the problem is, is that in the other educational systems, there's such an amorphous sort of, 
you know, bunching together. Cookie cutter stuff, yeah. And, but they're also afraid to create the hierarchy. And I think this is something that Chabad understands. But anyway, let me get back to the point of Tu Bishvat. If, instead of viewing Tu Bishvat, again, as taxing, and this was something that we've changed. Right, the word taxing is very offensive. Right, right. Here's what they should understand. The system that the Torah has in an agricultural society, it wasn't, as you would, people would say, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. It was inherent in halacha that you don't eat this stuff until you're mafresh truma, until you take off maestras. You know, I, I want to tell you, you just said something very beautiful and it deserves to be repeated. Charity was not a burden or obligation. It was an organic part of life. Yes. It really was. And and that's how it was, by the way, in the shtetl as well. It wasn't this kind of formal taxation and people felt burdened and this and that. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that whatever they had was through, you know, the beneficence of the Abishel, and therefore it was not really theirs. And part of that meant, you know, you take care of people. And and, 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 and it also emphasized, I can't eat this. If right. I'm not mafrish, I've brought a death sentence. And you can imagine how important it was to do the hafrosha, right? That even though eventually, of course, the hafrosha is matirit. Once you can eat it, but you recognize in that act the organic interconnection that you have with other people. I want to tell you. I want to tell you something interesting. In um, about ten years ago, there was a wonderful Catholic woman at Yaglomium University in Krakow who did a piece of research that is really quite interesting that very few would have ever thought of doing. You know, one of the things the the Nazis did when they came to Jewish communities is they 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 took away all their bank accounts and all their assets. So in her hometown of Krakow, she did the research on how much money were in these Jewish communal bank accounts before the war. And the Nazis came in and took all this money. And and who had what money? It's very interesting because it's kind of a, a snapshot of a community to see who had what kind of money. I'm not telling you it's perfect. I'm not telling you it is, but it's very interesting. So she has, she does this whole research and she has a whole list of, at the end of the research, she has a list of all the charities, right? So there's a, for assignment, for orphans, for widows, for poor brides, for the hungry, for whoever, you know, a list of schools, a list of yeshivas and schools, who, which bank account had the most money? I'll ask you to guess. A community of 40,000 Jews before the war, living in Klukit, living in Krakow, and, um, and, and which bank account do you think had the most money? This is a room. I was astonished. You, you're not going to believe which stucca had the most money. Karen Kayemet, the JNF. 50,000 zlotas to plant trees in Israel. I mean, in, in a place they would never see. I mean, it's remarkable. Right, this is money collected in the 1930s to plant trees in the land of Israel. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. So if Tupishvat ends up, you know, using a pre-existing day associated with trees, you know, to have the land of Israel flourish, you know, I don't have terrible complaints. The taxation stuff to me is offensive, yes. Right. And 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 I and, and as you say, as especially as we see the implosion of the economy, it's going to be even more crucial to reach out to people who have lost their jobs, who don't 
can't afford stuff, and to recognize that we are a one organic community, which looking at the laws of Trumas and Maestras allows us to do. Um, it, it's almost like if you think about it, uh, we, I talked, we talked about Chabad, understanding who is in whose place. The idea of, 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 a, of a class of people called the Shevet Levi to, that automatically get 10% of what your, your hard-earned work developed into was it, 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 we uh, that is it, to be able to entrench that into people's minds, assuming that Shevet Levi you know, were the B'nai Torah, assuming that Shevet Levi were the counselors for those who had erred by killing right recklessly, seeing them as the ones who do the the work of taking care of the Beis Hamikdash and other things, and recognizing you know we need these people. It isn't that, you know, I have to give tzedakah to them. Oh, got to throw the money to the rabbis. Right. Recognizing that the Leviims, and they are separate though. They, you are not the Levi. Why not? You know why? Because you're doing something different. The Levi is, is the Levium, you, know, you, you can join them if you want, like the Rambam says. But recognize that Klaus Yisrael understood that there was a class of scholars, a class of givers, uh, uh, what we call the frontline workers, and, and we, we give special treatment today. They were frontline, just like they were in Mitzrayim. There's something about Shevet Levi to understand that, and you don't view it as tzedakah. Uh, similarly, I, I would say, um, you know, even when it comes to the respect of letting people into your fields and taking it. Instead of, we saw before about, about alms. The point is, is that I leave this, I'm not looking at you, I understand, um, uh, this is yours. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't have to have my name on the, uh, on the building. I think all of those, stuff, all of that can be enhanced by understanding what the system was. And that, listen to what I'm saying, could translate into a into a very wonderful, real organic Jewish society, and I think we're going to need it. And let me just say one last thing on this. And I, I, I floated this idea to you in a previous conversation, but I, I think it's worthwhile to hear and, and hear your response to that. Even on a very technical level, when you think about the fact that hmm, Rosh Hashanah for the trees wasn't it Rosh Hashanah a couple months ago. And then when you hear the explanation the way I explained it earlier, I think what can seep into your head is the idea that maturity, specific dates, growth happens at different ways for different organic beings. I might be pushing it here, but, but I think the, the knowledge that, hey, it really isn't this year for this person or for this tree. It really is last year. And we have a way of, of imposition, whether it's getting, you know, uh, getting an idea or getting into the system. I think recognizing Tubishvat gives us tolerance for different stages of growth and different stages of development. And hidden growth and hidden development. Yes. In a way that is, is definitely important, even if it means, and I'm really going to push it on a limb here. Let's say, let's say even in the Haredi world, catching up to what the more open world has known for years. Okay, you know what? Based on their system, let's applaud the fact that there has been progress. Right. Okay, it, it, it's a lot better than it was 
in a period where you know the molesters were completely uh, uh, protected, protected yeah. right? So, so we look back and say, why can't they get it? Why can't they be where we are? Well, you know what? Things develop different. And when we, and when we, when we understand that, that we can't impose our idea of growth, our idea of when Rosh Hashanah is to others and recognize that in the halacha of Tubishvat, I think that's a, another great moral message and, and, and a, a help for society. I could I, honestly, it's a very, very, very important idea, and I think it's an inspiring idea, and it's an idea which engenders a way to look at other human beings in our world uh, in a way that's edifying. I, absolutely, I mean, it's, uh, it's a beautiful. I give, thought. I give you full permission to use it on, as as your uh, drasha for this Shabbos, as long as you give me the plug. I will always. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've got I've got the microphones in the shul to see if you're actually holding <laughs> up to it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. Let's just finish off here. I mean, do you think you know? I, I sent you a link uh, a shul in Cleveland that is planning a a mutual Martin Luther King Day a Tu B'Shvat Day. Um, you know, you don't have an MLK Day in Canada. I know. But, well, here in Canada, every day is MLK Day. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. My, my I, I think what people should think about on MLK Day is go back and read his speeches and uh, and watch some of the videos and realize how sad our time is compared to his time. And what I mean sad is that so many of the things that he said today, said if said today, would be called racist. In other words, when he says that you should judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, modern progressives see only the color of one's skin. When he talks about building a meritocracy, you, today the word meritocracy is banned because it's a product, they believe, of white privilege and everything else, and that there's no real such thing as meritocracy. So, yeah, he's from a different generation. Uh, Sidney Pate, uh, of blessed memory, was part of that same generation where it was about equality and not equity and uh, about equality of opportunity, not about equality of result. And uh, that's what people should remember about Martin Luther King. Yeah, I, I would say also to recognize, as you say, uh, his oratory. We talk about gifts from God. He was extremely gifted. Now, he came, I would say the following. I came, myself yeah. am a great speaker. I would say, you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say the greatest speaker ever, but I'm, I'm a good speaker. I'm a very good speaker. And, and I want to say something funny. <laughs> My father... A blessed man was a wonderful speaker. And I'll tell you how I learned how to speak. You know, this is interesting. I learned how to speak by at least growing up with my father. And I'm a, I'm a remar- I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'm a remarkably good speaker. I may have forgotten to mention And um and thank you for reminding me of it. And um and the way I I want to you know, I think we're gonna be starting to promoting you know the collected no, I mean, the, that, you the, know, of, Greatest hits, the greatest. By the way, the greatest I, it's hits. not I, it's not me who says this. It's just that everyone else is, is, keeps emphasizing it. But anyway, but here's the point. I was once reading about Kennedy. You know how Kennedy learned how to speak, right? Uh, we observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, signifying changes. Right? He was a great speaker. All right, sing song. No, no. I, I actually, if we would want to rate Kennedy and King, King floored him. King yeah, but Kennedy was great. Kennedy was great. Because you, you're talking about better. from I, following Eisenhower. You're right. right. Okay. Following right. Eisenhower, he's great. 
But I was reading, I, I read once that Don't Kennedy, you think Kennedy was a little bit sing-songy? It was a little bit... Uh, I like, all right, listen, you know, nobody's perfect. I like, Kennedy was very good. Um, there was something very dramatic. King, King made you feel that even though you knew it was lines that were carefully crafted and that he thought about and scratched out, you got the sense that there was there was a sense of spontaneity. Absolutely, when he said it. Yes, Kennedy. Kennedy, Kennedy, was Kennedy had, had had speeches that were crafted, and, yes. he, and he gave them over with power, and he knew right. where to hit the. I, I, hit I the can't point. disagree, but anyway, so I was reading somewhere. You keep interrupting me, and I, you know, did I mention by the way that I'm a very good speaker? Did I, I don't know if I mentioned you. Anyway, <laughs> so I was reading somewhere <laughs> that Kennedy. Uh, says he learned how to speak by listening to recordings of Winston Churchill. So uh, when I first became a rabbi many, many years ago, uh, uh, many, many years ago, uh, too many to even count, um, I had a cassette player in the car. Remember cassette players? And I was driving around in a Chevy Caprice, this huge car. Um, I don't know why I bought a Chevy Caprice, or at least I don't remember what it was. And I would listen to tapes of Kennedy speeches. So I had just one cassette tape, but it had like, I don't know, speeches of his and and i would listen to it but uh but i i would agree with you that king was better right yeah, and king I, had a, a, there was a passion and and you're right a a sense of spontaneity it was really quite remarkable even though you knew that the the, the i have been to the mountain yes it, the, the phraseology doesn't come naturally but you got a sense uh, that, it was biblical. His yes, phraseology was biblical. Yes, exactly. yes. And, 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 and I think that's one of the things that, that, that's worthwhile. I mean, look, and I think in ways, I, I sort of feel about King because that he, he was really able to distill the best part of himself in those speeches. There were other weaknesses he had as a human being and other things that, that were problematic uh, that every person has. And, and maybe in King's case, there were things that, that were embarrassing. But I think that when he spoke, I think it was so authentic. And he was able to tap into something that, that it, there's a reason why. It isn't just dressing up who he is in order to have an African-American day. There is something very powerful about hearing that, which I don't know if, you know, if we've ever had that type of oratory. I don't think Barack Obama uh, had that. Although, oh. Bar- uh, although Barack Obama was extremely intelligent. One last thing I would say, a recommendation, a video recommendation for MLK Day, is to, is to the uh, Maccabees, who are the, um, uh, uh, the YU's... Uh, In written, right. So you know that they did a video uh, with uh, a, a group. Just finished up. Uh, and they got together with a, a black acapella group called Naturally Seven, and they did a great video. Uh, you know, shed a little light. I think it's James Taylor's song on um, oh, yeah. uh, "Let Us Turn Our Thoughts Today uh, to Martin Luther King." It is such a wonderful video. First of all, the singing is tremendous, and you see the shared uh, uh, relationship between. Blacks and Jews, the one that, that A.J. Heschel was tapping into in, in the 60s and, and other uh, workers f- for the civil rights movement from, 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 from the Jewish world. But you get it in, in such a, a sweet way. And you also see the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the learning that these Jewish a cappella singers are getting from 
naturally uh-huh. seven. You can see how they are impressed by what they're able to do. It's just a fun, uplifting video. And again, I will peruse. Yes. I don't, again, I, don't, I think creating a Tubishvat Martin Luther King Day, I, I think is another example of sort of like, you know, creating another Frankenstein where it doesn't exist. But it would be a, a great thing to use this Tubishvat as well uh, for um, thinking about what that means and thinking about continued involvement in a way that's productive and that is, again, not into just identity politics, but really into uh, that universalist, that universalistic message and appreciation that uh, I, we should have and we should understand. Okay, well, we'll see you, Mirz Hashem, uh, next week. Um, go Chiefs. Be well. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.